0: G'day folks this is just a heads up to let you know that this episode contains a pretty uh, passionate discussion about Australia's pending carbon tax Uh, for those of you outside Australia it's supposed to be a way of balancing out Australia's impact on the environment but for many people, it's going to cause a lot of pain, according to many.
1: Most of you know, folks, that uh, Grant and I have uh, pretty opposite views politically, and uh, you know, being so different is uh, one of the things that makes this show so much fun. It is rather an impassioned discussion. If you've really had enough of uh, hearing about carbon tax, and you probably have if you live in Australia, well, will just fast forward through the first 10 minutes of that one. But uh, we just thought we'd let you know. So Grant, let's kick this episode off.
0: Sounds good to me, mate. <laughs>
1: folks, and welcome back to Plane Crazy Down Under, episode 69 of the program that looks at the world of aviation from an Australian Pacific point of view. While getting my bags packed and ready for Oshkosh, I'm Steve Vischer, and doing the same is Grant McHearen. G'day, mate. Hey, mate, how are you going? Not too bad, not too bad, just getting all these last-minute arrangements made.
0: Of which there are many, but yeah, it's all coming together, mate. Uh, So many things to tick off the list, so many things to arrange, but slowly but surely, it's all coming together, and we're running out of time for it. We leave pretty soon. Joining us also on the
1: line tonight from Sydney from aviationadvertiser.com.au, it's Ben Morgan. G'day, Ben.
2: Hey guys. How are you?
1: Very good, mate, very good. Survived another day at work and uh, here we are recording again, which is uh, far more fun, I can tell you. <laughs>
2: well, the the countdown uh, timer for you two is certainly now on the, uh, I guess, on the small scale and uh, you two will be off on a jet very, very soon. Yes, as we record this, we're down into
1: uh, single single figures for days to go, so uh, very, very exciting and, uh, well, it's going to be, uh, it's, I'll tell you what, the biggest struggle with all this trip is going to be coming back and um, having to go back to work. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the return to reality look i i really don't know how anyone could uh, face such a prospect uh, obviously the time away being so saturated around airplanes and of course what better uh, what better venue to do that than uh, than oshkosh being i guess the mecca for uh, for all kinds of aviation enthusiasts well mate as i've said a couple of
0: times I think that popping sound that people will be hearing is not a radial starting up. It's going to be my brain trying to reboot as it tries to absorb everything in.
1: I don't, ben, I, I don't know. I've never asked you this. Um, we've, I've never certainly been to Oshkosh. Have you ever had the opportunity to uh, get over there?
2: I actually haven't had the uh, the chance to do so. So I'm going to be vicariously living through your uh, podcasts and through your updates each day. But it is certainly one of the things that is on my bucket list. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, I guess it's one of those things. It doesn't matter who you speak to in aviation. Everybody seems to know uh, what Oshkosh is about. Uh, and uh, it's something that uh, I think would be uh, really bloody exciting. And uh, you two should be uh, very, very excited right now. Oh,
1: yeah. Well, uh, like to, <laughs> we this has been in the process for a while and we've been constantly excited about it. In fact, people are probably uh, you know, getting sick of uh, hearing us talk about it, but uh, well, they'll just have to put up with it because we'll be talking about it a lot.
0: <laughs> <laughs> There's going to be a lot of content and a lot of updates.
1: <laughs> hey, Ben, it's been a while since we've spoken to you. Uh, what's uh, some of the uh, happenings in the world of aviation advertisers since we spoke to you last
2: Well, it's never a dull day here in the offices of uh, Aviation Advertiser and we're, uh, you know, we're always working on something. And um, I guess more importantly, we're always covering what's going on outside in the industry. And the last couple of months uh, have been a really interesting uh, period with a whole lot of movement across the board. And I guess some of the most notable stuff that we're starting to hear of recent, of course, is the, uh, the, the carbon tax announcements um obviously, the, you know, we'll call it the tiger ordeal or the tiger debacle. Uh, also, Qantas's announcements uh, in the last month as well, focusing around its uh, so-called uh, need to outsource. And I noticed uh, this evening on the news, Dick Smith has even weighed in on the debate, uh, outlining the urgency to see it actually happen. I don't necessarily agree with Dick, but uh, a lot of really, I guess, really leading Uh, international and domestic affairs on a general aviation level, uh, there's still a, a great amount happening. And uh, I guess for many of the businesses out there in the field, there was a real concern that the economic situation was really not improving, uh, but we are now starting to see signs of movement again within the industry. And we're also seeing that reflected in aircraft sales and also in aircraft advertising. So um, not only an interesting period from a perspective of what's going on, but interesting also because we're starting starting to see some positive signs.
1: And uh, in the midst of seeing some uh, positive signs, I mean, you mentioned the carbon tax and I guess that's, that's the biggest topic at the moment here in Australia. Uh, I notice a, a few reports around today from the aviation side, for instance, hand in hand with this uh, carbon tax being imposed, there's going to be uh, an increase, it uh, looks like, in the uh, the excise on Av2. Uh, the industry is saying here over four years, that's going to cost them an extra $930 million. So um, you know, we all know where that's going to be absorbed and it's not by the airlines.
2: Look, I don't know what kind of words I'm allowed to use on a podcast, but <laughs> I, I want to use the phrase, I want to use the phrase that this entire carbon tax is absolute and Utter bull. Uh, I have never heard of a bigger crock in my life, uh, and it is just so evident that it is just another way of the uh, for the Australian federal government to put its hand in the pocket uh, of industry, business, and ultimately the consumer. Uh, and I am. I am fathomed. I, you know, you, uh, Julia Gillard, I am certain you're probably a nice person, but I really, I hate you with a passion. How the hell did you ever come to power? And and what monkeys, what monkeys within your own party would actually, uh, I guess, work to put you in the position you're in today? You're a fool, right? Do us all a favour and resign your position uh, so that we can actually get a government to power that can get on with actually running this country instead of running it into the ground. Down.
0: The, the only problem with this, mate, is that there's no one else who can repl- – no one's worth voting for out there. Everyone's – as we saw in the last election and – I mean...
2: It's a lot, mate. It's, a, it, it, it's so like, that. absolutely. It's like looking at a police lineup. <laughs> They're all guilty of something, you know. They're, they are all guilty of something. It's just unfortunately this perpetrator's uh, uh, in there right now. But look, obviously I have a very strong personal view on this and that centres around this. Simple economics, Julia, would dictate that if you go and penalise an industry, they are going to pass on the costs and there's very good reasons for this. We live in a world which is largely now dominated by shareholder driven and shareholder focused corporations. Now, can you please, Julia, please explain to me and also explain to the millions of Australian residents why a stock market listed business that's suddenly being penalised now for carbon would just decide to do the right thing and not pass it on to its consumers? Because as a shareholder of a company myself, if my board came back and said to me, Well, Ben, we're going to be making less profit this year because we're getting slugged with carbon tax, as a shareholder, I'd be expecting that board to get smart, get with it, and make the money up somehow. So ultimately, this is going to come out of the pocket of the average consumer, and we are going to start to see price increases across the board in this country wherever the carbon tax has had an impact, an impact and a footprint.
0: Well, we're all going to, already going to see it. Uh, they're already talking about increasing the excise. On- On uh, aviation gas and Avtur for domestic flights, which means we're going to be paying an extra three cents more per litre. Which, uh, yeah, I think it was at least three cents, maybe five cents, I've seen. So we're already paying too much to go flying here in Australia. Well, they're chipping even more.
2: Grant, they're tipping that domestic airfares are going to increase roughly between 3 and $4 each way. So I've got a better plan and I, I've decided here tonight on Playing Crazy Down Under to announce my economic plan for uh, relieving the government of its obvious financial burdens and that is we're going to increase a bullshit tax and the bullshit tax is going to apply to politicians uh, and every time a politician comes out with a bullshit Policy. We're going to tax that policy, say, twenty million dollars, and I reckon. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely, I I reckon. I reckon uh, this initiative uh, will net the government far more, far more money, or far, (laughs) far greater sums uh, than what we possibly would see under a carbon tax. Because really, something is wrong in Canberra right now. Something is very wrong
0: one of the bigger problems with it i mean i'm all for saving the planet i want to and i'm as steve can tell you i'm a bit of a greenie but i'm looking at this thing going where's the guarantees that this money is still going to continue going into renewables research and investment three years down the track when the same government's in or another government's come in, they're going to start dipping into the pool and we're creating a huge bureaucracy to manage this so all these airlines and so on that are pumping all the money in for uh, you know everyone who's paying for their fuel, it's all going to go into some coffer that's got to be tracked. It's got to be managed. It's got to be dispersed back to the population, sent off for other things. And you're creating a huge bureaucracy that we just don't need.
2: I think it's amazing. You know, when you obviously, if you're in business and you have numbers of staff and obviously uh, structures of systems and stuff, you tend to review your processes from either one of two perspectives. You review your process from a penalisation Process. I'm going to implement penalties that enforce my rules. Or you implement structures and processes from a reward perspective .ie i'm going to incentivize my processes and staff to achieve a result so really the way that i see it in simplicity the government in this country has an opportunity to either penalize or incentivize and it seems to me that uh, you know we're again just going down the road of penalizing people we're gonna oh, we're going to penalize you're all consumers you, you you spend your money on too many things and you're buying too many things and this is political The world. So what we're going to do is we're going to penalise you on top of every other penalty we have to go through as citizens of this country. Um, I can't see why this government couldn't have taken a more proactive approach. And instead of penalising large industry, how about use the greatest motivator ever known to mankind, and that is greed for wealth. Uh, Why we haven't chosen to take a road of of promoting reward for companies that do the right thing and provide serious reward and serious incentives. I think we would have seen a far better result than this system, which is really nothing more than a penalty system and is going to open the way and pave the pathways for people dodging the system and coming up with clever and inventive ways of pretending like they're not carbon polluting industries.
0: What, like uh, pushing everything over to an outsourced overseas operation?
2: Perhaps. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's just so short. sighted <laughs> so. I mean, Julia, Julia, do you have glasses? Were you not wearing them? What were you thinking? <laughs> well,
1: I think the biggest problem here that we've got, uh, I guess from a political standpoint, and we want to drag this back to aviation in a sec, but uh, uh, of course, Julia Gillard's basically having her strings pulled by Bob Brown and those lunatics at the Greens. And I think that's where all the problem is. These people seem to have no grasp on the way the real world works. And I mean, uh, one of the problems we're putting the aviation hat on here is um, uh, regional aviation. Now, this would have to be a sector, Ben, I think that would be would be marginal at the best of times from a profit standpoint, but uh, probably the most notable uh, operator in in that sector is Rex Regional Express. Now, you know, for those outside this country, this is a you know, they operate a, f- a fleet of largely uh, Saab 340s and operate to a lot of regional centers Now, uh, their spokesman Chris Hine, was uh, saying today in the media that um, you know, the carbon tax is going to make a lot of their routes marginal to the point that they may he- even have to start withdrawing from several ports.
2: Look, Steve, you're absolutely you're absolutely right. I mean, this carbon tax Really stands to risk a great deal, uh, and the real concern with it is is that straight off the bat, right off the word go, it is almost you know, unanimously supported that this is going to have detrimental effect. It's interesting, you know, with things that government does from time to time, you, you tend to see a fairly good mix of people saying, oh, but it's a good thing or well, that's a bad thing. In this instance, there seems to be a widespread, generally adopted view that this carbon tax is actually not necessarily a good tax. Uh, and I am concerned, and I think that a lot of the major media are concerned, that The way in which it's going to impact uh, is not necessarily going to be impacts within uh, the metropolitan spaces, but the people are going to feel it the most are going to be the people in the marginalised regional areas uh, where it's going to start increasing. Uh, the cost of essential travel, uh, the costs of transport and so on and so forth. So this is not a good tax. This is certainly not good for um, carriers such as Regional Express and uh, you know I'm definitely in their corner and saying that this really needs to be abolished and it needs to be removed. This is not good for business, it's not good for the country and it's really not good for this government if it wants to get re-elected.
1: Chris Hine was talking to uh, Ross Greenwood on 2GB recently about this. Let's have a quick listen to what he had to say.
0: A number of uh, Ports that we operate to, we do compete against other forms of transport, and 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 that could indeed continue to 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 make the uh, the the ability for us to provide a viable service um, harder and harder. And and therefore, our greatest fear, as I said, is that some of these communities could end up losing a valuable air service, and also that the environment is getting harder and harder. And if we were to to exit, there's no guarantee that anyone else would be able to make a financial go of it and re-enter that market.
1: Now, uh, specifically, at least on a New South Wales basis, and uh, he was talking to a New South Wales audience there, uh, he's talking about four airports, uh, Marimbula, Maruya, Taree and Grafton, could all potentially lose service from Rex. Now, if you use the railway principle, once, um, you know, it's often said in the railways when they close a line down, once you take the infrastructure away, you'll never get it back. And I, it sounds to me like that's what he's saying there. So there's another um, another example. Well that's a good example in my opinion of of how this this extra unnecessary impost on business is going to affect regional communities.
2: Steve it, it again Totally and utterly correct and I think that for these communities, this is a serious concern Uh, and I think again for this government, uh, it needs to be a serious concern because as the impact of this carbon tax is felt, uh, I can see large portions of communities uh, becoming steadfast uh, opposition voters. Uh, and Julia really needs to take a look at this. This is really not good for government and it's not good for Australia.
1: How do you think, um, I mean, those, those areas that I uh, just mentioned there, and uh, Ben, you live up in New South Wales, are they anywhere in the electorates of uh, Tony Windsor and Rob Oakeshott?
2: Thank you for mentioning their name, Steve, because I think they're also in the police lineup as well, aren't they? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're in the carbon tax lineup. Gee, um,
1: uh, I can tell you they, from uh, from their polling, I'd say they they would be very keen to put that next election off as long as possible.
2: It's unfortunately this is not an issue that really just relates to aviation. um, And it's an issue that really relates to all Australians. Um, But for aviation, especially, this carbon tax comes on the top of a very difficult period. And that period is a period of privatisation, excess regulation, uh, cost increases across the board, and now on top of it, extra taxes. So um, aviation is an industry that is facing an uphill challenge uh, with respect to a lot of these things. And uh, I just see it as detrimental I can't see it as being positive and ultimately, uh, like everything else, uh, it will be passed down and it will end up in the lap of the consumers. So if customers on the regional express network start experiencing price hikes, what I would challenge them to do is to not blame the airline and to not take their aggression out on the airline, but to take five minutes to write a letter to the prime minister's office um, requesting she pay the carbon tax. (laughs) <laughs> uh, it was her idea. And I reckon we should all send our invoices whenever those price rises occur. And we just file them straight to Canberra and say, Julie, can you just take care of that? Because, you know, carbon tax didn't really affect anyone. So you won't mind picking up that little bill, will you?
1: Mm, good luck with that. <laughs> oh, guys, and here's another like here's that. another interesting <laughs> side of it. We've got a press release here or an article here in ABC News talking about um, CareFlight, the CareFlight organisation being worried about a carbon tax impact because uh, it looks as though they will not be exempt from it, although the Royal Flying Doctor Service will be exempt from it. So.
2: Can, and can you, Steve, can you believe it? Can you believe no, that I the can't. government would actually charge a carbon tax on a life-saving service such as... Care flight. I mean, it is so un-Australian. I mean, this is an indiscriminate kind of act of bastardry, and I just—it really. Uh, I mean, it's up there with the best acts of worst government, isn't it? So well, it's certainly okay. going to hit
0: everyone, no matter who you who you vote for.
2: Well, uh, I mean, it really has to make you question: Can you possibly vote for Julia Gillard at the next election? Can you actually take this woman seriously? I, I, I I'm sorry. Uh, my view, I think, is is already you know probably come across quite clearly. <laughs> (laughs) Uh, Like everyone else, I was prepared to give her the benefit of the doubt and to see how it went. But uh, what I see going on is just an absolute facade uh, and is just in such stupidity. I mean, let's start challenging as a government. Let's start challenging the core topics, you know, Carbon tax has become this massive distraction for this government and what this government needs to be focusing on is solving the medical system issues. It needs to be solving the education system issues and, more importantly, it needs to start getting its... Into gear in solving the upcoming unemployment issues that are going to take hold as the economy starts to uh, slow down as a result of increased taxes and higher consumer costs. Yet again,
0: yeah. And the only thing that's trying that's keeping most of them going is the boom in the mining industry. Yeah, which they're trying to kill.
2: <laughs> it makes sense of it, you know. It's like it's just bizarre. I honestly, I think Australian politics have become almost a comical joke. And if it wasn't so bloody serious, I'd have a real laugh at it. It's It's just that what's going on is just an absolute tragedy. We have gone from being a a relatively stable country with regard to our government and the performance of government to literally having the worst possible lineup of uh, of people that uh, I think we've had in many many years. I mean, we saw it in the last election. It was pretty much
0: tied equal, neck and neck. It was just a couple of independents that swayed it. No one wanted anyone. Grant, that's you know.
2: You've actually just made me remember something. I was driving in the car and I heard a radio report and here is Julia Gillard. She made the statement, we have a mandate on carbon tax. We received, I mean, has this woman forgotten the election? Has she she forgotten that the election basically was a hung parliament and it came down to who could bribe the independents with the the sweetest deal? I mean, this this Labor... This Labor government did not get a mandate from the Australian people. It conned its way into Parliament, and now it's conning the Australian public. And I, it's un-Australian, and uh, I think it's an absolute black mark on this country. If they wanted a carbon tax, and the people wanted the carbon tax, the government shouldn't have had an issue. Should not have had an issue in making this topic a referendum issue, uh, and let the results fall where they where they would have. I think that Julia may have gotten a rude shock, though.
1: I think. Um- Uh, probably, I mean, this is probably more a political discussion than we normally have on this uh, this show but it, yeah. it, it is rather important and I guess when you're talking about members of parliament in the lower house uh, you know they all with one exception there's 150 members in the lower house only one of those members in fact uh, went to the electorate at the last election promising to bring in a carbon tax that was Adam Bant the member for Melbourne he's a Greens everybody else including the independents went to the voters and said there's going to be no carbon tax well let's have the last word on this carbon tax and I think it should come from Julia Gillard
2: Uh, There will be no carbon tax under the government I lead. There we are. You're not supposed to remember that. There will be no carbon tax. Anyway,
1: let's move off uh, the, the carbon tax because okay, uh, my so views here on... we
2: are at
0: politics down under.
1: Yeah, because my views on uh, carbon tax are quite well known. I think if you follow my Twitter stream, you sh- you'll certainly know <laughs> yes. that. It's just a disgrace. But uh, let's move on to another issue that's been making the news in aviation, gentlemen, and that's uh, the grounding of Tiger Airways. Do we think uh, we'll see Tiger flying again
2: anywhere in the near future? I don't know that they're going to come back. Yeah, I think, uh, what are they? What were they saying? $1.42 million a week. It was costing the airline to remain grounded. Now, how long have they been grounded already? Two weeks. Just came up on the end of the second week. You know what I find interesting with this uh, particular topic, and uh, I, I actually don't want to get involved in the debate of the reasons – Uh, why the Civil Aviation Safety Authority has felt it was necessary. I want to talk really about whether it's appropriate that the airline actually be grounded. Um, I think we live in a reasonably modern time and I think most businesses would like to believe that we're in a period or we live in a world or we exist in a world or we trade in a world where um, if you have a problem that you're going to be able to work Uh, your way through these issues. Um, And it really seems in this instance that the Civil Aviation Safety Authority and the ATSB have taken a really severe uh, and swift uh, movement to ground the airline over really issues that could well have been sorted out with the airline continuing its operation. Uh, And it really starts to raise questions in my mind as to what the motivations there really are. Uh, It doesn't seem appropriate that an entire airline is grounded because they were unhappy with particular processes. Um, And I want to make the point, and I think this is really the most interesting point with the issue on Tiger, is that CASA has come out and has made statements that it was unhappy with the training standards and it was unhappy with the maintenance standards. Who at CASA approved their maintenance operations procedures and who at CASA approved their training procedures to begin with? These things had to be approved and you would think that if the uh, Civil Aviation Safety Authority had actually done its job in the first place, it would have actually had adequate oversight to determine whether those practices were going to be sufficient. Now, if we're talking about a scenario of compliance, i.e. the airline maintaining its obligations to those procedures – did it really justify grounding the airline? I, I actually would like to argue no. I think that there's probably a bit more to this story and that bit that little bit extra is probably in relationship or in relation, sorry, to other external factors that are going on right now in the commercial aviation space here within Australia. That's just my conspiracy well, theory it, though.
0: Well, is it possible that they had everything and that if you looked at their procedures as documented and reviewed by CASA and accepted... That everything was okay, but then they've fallen off the bandwagon and those procedures are now just sitting on the shelf. And this is a problem, they weren't following it.
2: We ran a story uh, going back about six to eight months ago of a Jetstar flight that. basically came within seconds of Mm -hmm. ploughing itself into Avalon Airport and killing a substantial number of people. It took the ATSB 12 months or longer to investigate the case and Jetstar wasn't grounded. Joyce was in charge. Absolutely.
0: uh, It turned out that they had actually changed their training methods to an unapproved system that was not authorised by CASA or the manufacturer of the aircraft. Uh, They had really gone quite a long way into dangerous territory, and yet you're quite right. They were not grounded. However, well, uh, when you point this out to some people, they turn around and say, ah, but that was just once. Cat, uh, Tiger uh, had multiple.
2: Well, injuries. some of Jetstar. is Jet, yeah. not an airline that's just had but one incident, and I just, uh, yeah, something smells to me. I mean, it doesn't matter. When I smell around the Civil Aviation Safety Authority anyway, it's pretty clear that something's not, right. you know, right. Um, but in this instance there's something to me and I can't quite put my finger on it but the conspiracy theorist in me uh, is saying that there's probably more to this story than what's actually been led on. Perhaps like, oh, we just had a Senate inquiry where... uh it was pointed
0: out that CASA weren't really coming down hard on people who violated things, perhaps. Grant, you're,
2: you're a cynic, are you,
0: Grant? <laughs> oh, well, you see him coming hard down You see him coming down hard on GA and small guys, small people, but the airlines are allowed to get away with murder, it seems.
2: It also, Grant, seemed to coincide with announcements of recent that Qantas, given the current economic situation and outlook, may be looking to outsource a considerable chunk of its operations uh, to Asia. Um, I guess if you were Qantas right now, you'd be kind of smiling, wouldn't you? Well, let's, let's face it. Uh,
0: I've been talking to a couple of people who are considering flights uh, this week and also next during the time before tiger was grounded they were looking at flights as soon as tiger was grounded they took another look at those flights on other airlines the price hadn't gone up that much but you know what once tiger was grounded out to the first of august those flights in july on virgin and qantas all miraculously went up a bit funny that well that's just supply and demand in in a way that's just the market working isn't it well that's what's going to happen if tiger's not around isn't it who If Tiger's not around and someone like AirAsia don't step in to become a new domestic player here in Australia, what's going to happen to the prices? why fight for the bottom when you can put them up a little bit and survive?
1: Well the interesting thing and and, um, as you know I I listen to a lot of talkback radio through the week when the issue of Tiger has come up a lot of talkback callers are starting to question you know low cost airlines just in general because there is that sort of impression be it true or or not that um, you know perhaps their standards are a little lower, their training regimes are perhaps not as good as uh, say Qantas a lot of people are sort of vowing that they won't fly Tiger again now. I also have a theory that every man has his price and if Tiger starts op- if, if Tiger starts flying again and starts offering uh, dirt cheap flights, which you know they'll do once they get uh, back in the air, um, I think they'll fill those flights up pretty quick. The uh, One time I flew Tiger, they were pretty full. Grant, I think you had the same experience?
0: Yeah. Oh, look, they have been full. And let's face facts, we're partially to blame for the whole Tiger and Jetstar race to the bottom. Who goes and pays the best fare? Who doesn't go and shop for the cheapest? But do you factor in who you're buying for? Do you go and say, and look at some of the corporates. If you go and buy a fare for $200 on Virgin and it turns out that Jetstar was 180 you get your knuckles wrapped. And if it turns out Tiger was 140 boy, do you get your knuckles wrapped. You've just wasted money.
2: I think it'd be a really good exercise for an airline to basically offer a ticketing option that says, "Look, this ticket's thirty-four dollars from Sydney to Melbourne, but we're going to send you on an aircraft that's got a known history of engine failures, um, <laughs> that we have also detected serious structural issues with, and that the pilots have only just come out of basic flying training. Um, but the ticket's thirty-four dollars. Would you go? And I reckon the Australian public would book that flight. <laughs> I
1: reckon you'd be right,
2: mate. <laughs> I actually do. I actually think. I actually think people would still book the flight and if something went wrong, they'd all want to claim that they didn't read the fine print. You know, like, oh, hang on, we didn't see this. Hang on, we didn't see this. I'm not, and I just want to put a disclaimer there. I'm certainly not saying that uh, any of the airlines are operating aircraft to that degree, and I think that here in Australia we're very lucky. Uh, We're lucky because we do have high standards and that, you know, generally those standards are adhered to. But what I am saying is that everybody loves a cheap deal. Um, Let's face facts. Those cheap deals sometimes are the principal um, decision-making, I guess, motivator. And I know from my own experience, you know, if you book an airfare and you've got a decision between booking a $400 premium Qantas ticket Sydney to Melbourne uh, versus a $65 one-way ticket option, I'm going to take the $65. Why? Uh, I'm not on the aeroplane to have a relaxing time. I'm not on the aeroplane to be served a five-star meal. I'm certainly not even there to enjoy the comfortable seating and aromatic sense of a cabin of an aircraft. Uh, I'm there (laughs) and they can be aromatic. (laughs) Uh, I'm there to fly Sydney to Melbourne it's a bus and the reality is and I know Bob Hawke was uh, later accosted for declaring the airline pilot's bloody overpaid bus drivers. Um, But unfortunately, the reality of the low price airfare market and the low price airline market uh, is that they are in fact buses. They're buses connecting cities and that is it now. Um, And the airlines are to blame for that. They are the ones who have aggressively sought that market. They are the ones that have marketed themselves into that position. So, you know, the, the reality is they kind of, I, I guess they're getting a little bit of their own when they start to say, oh, but, you know, we're looking at outsourcing and things are becoming expensive. Um, well, they are because you can't run an airline selling 33 or $65 tickets. I actually, to be honest, I've never flown Tiger. And although I like a cheap airfare, in fact, I kind of have to be really honest about this. I've always flown Virgin. And the reason I fly Virgin is that I like the 737s. I like that the the cabin is reasonably comfortable. And I just got used to it. So whenever I book an airfare, I jump on Virgin and I try and find the cheapest deal Virgin has. The only time I've ever flown Jetstar is I took a flight from Sydney to Avalon for the Avalon International Airshow. And I was jammed into an Airbus that literally, I actually rang the bell and I actually invited the cabin assistant down. And I said to her, do you think if we took another inch out of every row, we could squeeze another seat behind us? (laughs) Um, And I said to her, I don't think we've got enough on this flight because my knees are almost halfway through the spleen of the person in front of me. I think I think there's more room. It was just ridiculous. And it was the last time that I flew on Jetstar because I was disgusted with the fact that they don't even let you recline the seat. That's, that's how many people they've jammed into the aeroplane is that if you recline the seat, it poses a safety health risk to the person behind you. And I just think this is, you know, this is bizarre. I mean, yes- they want the economics from the sectors and they, they want to make as much money as they can. But ultimately, uh, if I'm going to travel, yes, I want the cheapest deal I can get, but I want the cheapest deal I can get on a comfortable aeroplane. And that's the thing
0: is this is this is the education that needs to get out to the consumers all around the world, not just here in Australia, but also in the US and the UK and Europe, is that, yeah, you can get it dirt cheap, but what are you paying for and what are you giving up to get that cheap?
2: The other, the other concern I have, Grant, uh, is the safety aspect of if something goes wrong, you know, I've seen a few a few videos of what happens to the interior of aircraft when they, mm-hmm. you know, they come to a stop and the basic human natures of people to try and just get out of the aircraft. Uh, and you see these classic training videos that show people literally lurching up out of seats and they will just walk all over everyone to get off the aeroplane. And I think there's a real safety aspect or a safety concern in jamming so many people in an aeroplane that if something were to happen in an emergency, you can hardly get out the seat as it is how are you going to go trying to get out of that airplane if it's actually broken up or in any way compressed no but uh especially with the uh the population getting kind of larger you know
0: we've got these seats at 31 inch pitch which i think 32 is should be the minimum but you're actually getting down to 28 now and uh you know you've got people who are a little bit larger than that not just people tall like me but people who are pretty huge you know i've had the situation where the person next to me is overflowing That's no way to talk about me, Grant. Well, you know, you at least sat with another uh, seat between us. We are on a light plane, but I'm talking about other... (laughs) Well, just looking here, actually,
1: it's uh, just on a a couple of websites here. It looks like Jetstar's A320s have a seat pitch of about 30 inches. Tiger Airways is 28.5, and uh, having flown... Well, I've flown all four airlines, if you count Qantas. And I guess the best way to describe Tiger Airways, based on what you've said there, Ben, is that it's uh, Jetstar light.
2: (laughs) It's... uh, It's basically... (laughs) a can of humans
1: (laughs) that's exactly right
2: and (laughs) I'll tell you you what
1: the trip to Perth is just that much longer when you fly (laughs) screw it I'm
2: like that
0: so, so do you think given the bagging that Tiger has received again and again and again for its poor customer service, its bad on-time performance and now all of this, do you really think that people will want to fly Tiger again if they come back?
2: I think my opinion is if Tiger does make it back that it will fly again and it will sell tickets and mm-hmm. ultimately – you know, it will overcome the challenge. I I think that it's very healthy to have plenty of players in the domestic airline space. Um, In effect, it keeps the bastards honest and it keeps the bigger players who, let's face it, you know, if you're Qantas or Virgin, you've had a pretty good run. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, at, you know, at air travel in this country, especially Qantas. Qantas has had it so good for so long um, and only really in the last maybe six or seven years has it had to really deal again with having some competition. And let's face it, we as consumers have benefited enormously from Tiger even being here. We all owe Tiger a standing ovation for helping drive airfares to basically the levels of costing a cab from Manly to the city. So long as you don't include the luggage fee, the check-in fee, and all the other
0: incidentals. But- we won't talk We won't talk about this. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, the one. I mean, the one point I'd want to make here is, and I mean, you know, ever since the inception of this show two years ago, I've been bagging Tiger Airways mercilessly. But, uh, you know, um, I, I would like to point out here that the people that are now out of work at Tiger, and a lot of those are casuals. We read this week that a lot of their flight attendants, in fact, are casuals and are now not being paid. I mean, those are the people I feel sorry for, even more than the passengers at the moment that have been inconvenienced because, um, okay, everybody's got to have a job, and uh, particularly at the moment with the cost of living the way it is, So, uh, you know, I I do feel for the uh, staff of Tiger Airways and I hope that, uh, you know, they either find gainful employment somewhere else if that uh, ends up having to be the the case or, um, you know, once they do get back in the air flying with Tiger Airways that, you know, things improve there and they can keep their jobs.
2: Can't argue with that, mate. You're absolutely correct there, and uh, you know it's uh, it's a difficult business, and it must be made even more difficult when you're uh, when you have absolutely no certainty whatsoever uh, regarding your future employment.
1: Well, gentlemen, that's been a pretty heavy session of uh, politics and all sorts of bad news. So let's uh, just before we go to the ad break here, finish on some lighter news. Did we mention Oshkosh?
2: Oshkosh, oh, it sounds like a kid's clothing label. Oh, you mm. had to say it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, well, let's just talk about what we're going to do at Oshkosh uh, now that, uh, you know, the euphoria has settled down a little bit. And, uh, Ben, once again, we appreciate uh, you sponsoring us again and helping us to uh, have a bit of, uh, you know, operating cash over there so that we can, you know, eat. <laughs>
2: mate, uh, you know, uh, being able to feed yourself is one of the essentials in undertaking any uh, international assignment, such as uh, the Oshkosh Adventure. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm only a little blind. Like, I don't eat much. Well, that's not true. I, I thought the smell of avtur was enough to keep us
0: going every day. <laughs> okay.
2: Well, the, we were going to approach the guys from the um, uh, the corn beef factory to see if they would provide bully beef packs and biscuits. <laughs> 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 but we realised it's not the Second World War. <laughs> yeah. Beef
0: jerky, anyone? <laughs> so as
1: we uh, mentioned in the last show, the plan is to uh, probably put out at least three shows plus Palooza, so that makes four. And uh, we're also going to be taking as many photos as we can, Ben, and we're going to be providing that into the Aviation Advertiser website on the homepage there so people will be able to uh, track uh, what's going on there and some of the sites and and all that sort of stuff and uh, we'll also be providing uh, audio clips as we record them.
2: Look, absolutely. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, I'm going to be vicariously living through your experience over there, uh, being a... Uh, An aviation fan and enthusiast and uh, I guess uh, industry participant. I've always wanted to go to Oshkosh but this year we'll be sending uh, obviously you guys and uh, not only myself but uh, our staff and also our readers I guess will be uh, interested in watching on to see what kind of uh, hilarity and adventure uh, you two get up to. Uh, Having been on site at a trade event with you, you guys are uh, bloody fun to be around and I imagine (laughs) that uh, there's going to be some uh, Americans out there with raised eyebrows going, uh, what are these Australians all about? (laughs) Yeah, we figure we've
1: got one shot at this and they'll never let us back so we're going to make the most of it.
2: (laughs) That's exactly right. So uh,
1: as we mentioned uh, too in the last show, but I just want to put it out there again, the focus of Playing Crazy Down Under is to highlight uh, Australian uh, and, of course, Kiwi involvement in uh, or the industry as a whole. So uh, we'll be over there looking for uh, Australian uh, and Kiwi uh, participants. Uh, So uh, absolutely uh, drop us a line, playingcrazydownunder at gmail.com. If you're going to be over there, let us know that you're going to be there so that we can come and have a talk to you and, uh, if nothing else, plug your business.
0: We've got to say also remind everyone that it's also thanks to Mark Pracy Sr. and Mark Pracy Jr. over at Pracy Racing, JetRide Australia and Aircraft Imports that we're also able to get over there. So major thanks to Ben who's helping to make it possible for us to be in Oshkosh and get up to all the mischief we're going to. And definite thanks to the guys at Pracy Racing who are actually getting us over to uh, the U.S. So, mate, without these two great sponsors, it wouldn't be possible.
1: Very, very cool. Well, Ben, uh, of course, uh, once again, it's uh, very late as we're recording this. We seem to be making a habit of this, mate, but uh, we appreciate you uh, sitting up late and uh, uh, having a chat with us. And, uh, boy, it was very heavy for politics this time around, but I I really think that's topical at the moment. I mean, the carbon tax in particular is on everybody's mind in this country and uh, as well it should be.
2: You're absolutely right. It's a topic that has um, a a great deal of controversy around it, Steve, and uh, one that aviation, unfortunately, uh, has been thrust into the middle of. It's not good. It's not good. And I remain hopeful, though, that the government's going to see error in its current deployment and it's going to move quickly uh, in providing some modification so that we will not see great airlines such as Regional Express and others um, throughout Australia put under undue financial stress Uh, as a result of really this stupid tax.
1: And we'll be covering it in more detail uh, once we get back from Oshkosh and hopefully by then the government will have seen fit to provide us with uh, perhaps a little bit more detail than what they've given us so far so that we can uh, really study it in detail and uh, see if there's any positives at all we can take from it, although being a sceptic, I doubt it.
2: (laughs) Mate, absolutely. And... uh Obviously, you guys have a wonderful time in Oshkosh. I'm going to be glued to my computer screen uh, waiting for updates, uh, Grant, both from video and also audio and photographs. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be so much for you boys to be, uh, I guess, not only exploring but also interviewing, and uh, I wish you all the best on this adventure.
1: Thanks very much, mate. We appreciate it, as always. Okay, www.aviationadvertiser.com. That are you. Stick around, folks. After the break, Anthony Simmons joins us with the view from the lounge.
2: Do you have the need,
0: the need for speed? JetRide Australia is the country's premier fighter experience and the perfect gift for every budding top gun. From mild to wild, JetRide tailors each flight individually to give you the mind-blowing ride of your life. To make the dream a reality, check out jetride.com.au/pcdu or Aussies can call 1300 554 876. Jetride. Forget the rest, fly with the best.
2: Whether you're buying or selling a light single-engine aircraft or a corporate jet, do it faster and easier with aviationadvertiser.com.au. Aviationadvertiser.com.au is Australia's largest aviation marketplace. As the country's largest source of aircraft classifieds, you'll find hundreds of new and used aircraft of all types, online 24 hours a day. With ads from just $39 and the convenience of buying and selling online, it's easy and affordable. Connect with Australia's largest buy and sell aviation community at aviationadvertiser.com.au
0: would you like to podcast with the lifestyle pod network we're australia's fastest growing podcast network and we're looking for people who love to podcast you get great benefits like a free blog podcast hosting with unlimited bandwidth and a great community of podcasters to connect with find out more by visiting lpnhost.com Stu here from the Pilots Journey podcast. You're listening
3: to Plane Crazy Down Under, where it's what's down under that counts. Now back to Grant and Steve, the masters of sound effects. I'd mentioned this topic to Steve some months ago, and we batted it around for a bit, and then put it on the back burner. As chance would have it, not long after there appeared a series of articles in the local Melbourne press about this very issue. It might on the surface appear somewhat parochial, but it's a perennial chestnut for Victoria and has an impact on airports around the world. Hi, I'm Anthony Simmons and this is The View from the Lounge. Ever since Tullamarine was being planned in the 1960s and opened in 1970, there has always been talk of a dedicated rail link to the airport. Every few years the government of the day conducts a feasibility study, various self-interest groups voice their unqualified support or unrelenting opposition, it receives several column inches in the big and little papers in Melbourne and then disappears out of sight. Not only to be raised the next time there's a slow news week or the government needs to be seen to be doing something regarding the state's infrastructure. I thought I'd compare Melbourne's situation with other airports around the world and for simplicity selected Hamburg's Fuhlsbuttel and Stockholm's Arlanda airports. This was not only because both these cities have certain similarities to Melbourne, they are also airports with rail services I've used in recent years. As an exercise in compare and contrast, I was surprised by what I found out. For the facts and figures bit, I've utilised that wonder of the web, Wikipedia. So if any of you out there wish to dispute the data, this is my mea culpa up front. I started with the respective feeder populations for the airports. Melbourne has approximately 4 million people. Hamburg, including what's recognised as the metropolitan feeder regions of Lower Saxony and Schleswig-Holstein, about 4.3 million. And Stockholm's combined urban and metro areas, a tad over 2 million people. Don't worry about the apparent disparity with Stockholm. Arlanda is 40 kilometres from the centre of Stockholm, Hamburg's airport 8.5 kilometres from its centre, and Tullamarine, 23 kilometres from the centre of my beautiful city by the bay. In 2009, they had approximately 18 million, 12 million, and 24.5 million passenger movements respectively. So the situation at the moment is we have Arlanda having half the population and three-quarters of the passenger movements, and Foolsbuttle having roughly the same population, and half the passenger movements of Tullamarine. If you can bear with me, it gets curiouser and curiouser, as Alice said to the Cheshire Cat. The Arlander Express was completed in 1999 based on the delightfully Nordic notion that as the airport was expanding, they wanted to reduce total emissions from the airport. Nice thought. The spur line off the S1 Vedel Poppenbuttel line was opened in 2008. Not that long ago really, but it had been discussed for some time, but surely not as long as the 40 years Melbourne has been kicking this old tin can around for. By this time I was becoming somewhat confused, a state that my few close personal acquaintances would say is a normal and expected position for the infrequent flyer. And then I read the recent newspaper reports and entered a whole new world of bewilderment. It would appear that there are several groups with an adverse opinion regarding a rail link to Melbourne's airport, bus, taxi, airport companies and even the state government who was elected in 1999 with a promise to build a rapid transit link to the airport. That election promise was dumped in 2002. The latest modelling commissioned by the government shows that the existing road infrastructure is already struggling to cope with the number of vehicles going to and from the airport. Few people who currently drive to the airport would use a rail link, and the majority of users would come from existing bus and taxi patrons. It goes so far as to suggest it would be the ruin of the taxi industry. The government's proposed solution is to investigate a bloody great new freeway. Now, in an age where we are constantly reminded of environmental emissions from motor vehicles... We can pay a premium on airline fares to offset the carbon footprint impact of our flight and live in a country with massive potential alternative energy sources. It's incomprehensible that a government could even think like this. Sydney and Brisbane have rail links, and even if they are not as heavily patronised as originally forecast, they provide an alternative. The Swedes were factoring in emission levels a decade ago, and Germany's second largest city built an efficient rail link to an airport which has half the passenger movements of Tullamarine. Australia's second-largest city would probably benefit from removing the majority of taxi trips to the airport, freeing up an already congested road system. Surely there must be other international cities constructing or planning rapid mass transit links to their airports, yet Melbourne dithers. I'll leave the last word to the Chief Executive Officer of Australia Pacific Airports Corporation, which operates Tullamarine. He was quoted recently as saying that it did not make economic sense to have a rail link. By the way, APAC made $90 million Australian last financial year from parking. And that's a somewhat cynical view from the lounge.
2: $90 million. And
1: thank you very much, Owen Frequent Flyer. And I tell you what, Grant. You know, actually, you know that was recorded uh, about well, nearly twelve months ago. Anthony recorded that one, and we've been saving it for a while because um, you know there's been a lot of other things that have come up. But uh, we did want to get uh, a couple of uh, local politicians on from around the Melbourne area who've uh, spoken about the airport railway uh, topic over the years. But uh, you know, probably one footnote to note there, and probably one thing that gives it away as to how old that recording is, is that Anthony was talking about the state government, which has uh, since been replaced since about November last year uh, with a different administration. So uh, when we get back from Australia, gosh we're going to chase up that subject it is a bit parochial for melbourne but uh, the subject of airport railways it does come up a lot and you know there's a, there's a lot of uh, many and varied reasons in my opinion why we don't have an airport railway here in melbourne and not the least of which is of course that uh, the citylink tollway which is run by a private operator has a contract with the state which basically says that uh, if any other uh, service transport services set up anywhere near or along that route that uh, could potentially take traffic away from the tollway uh, that could expose, in fact expose the state of Victoria to quite some uh, financial penalty that uh, Transurban, the company that owns the CityLink Tollway, would be able to uh, claim against. So I think probably that's the main reason at the moment why uh, there isn't a uh, rail link to Melbourne Airport. There is a railway line which runs within about five kilometres of it uh, and there have been proposals in the past, as Anthony mentioned, there to run a spur line off to the airport. As with many things in politics, uh, not only in Victoria but uh, right around the world, well that probably just makes too much sense, Grant.
0: Could do. But mate, I'm sure you're just hanging to uh, put an addendum onto this series of podcasts, uh, the uh, train crazy down under section.
1: No, oh, Yeah, well, you know, some people have suggested to me that I make a train crazy down under, but uh, I don't know, Grant, there's a, there's a lot of uh, very strange looking train fanatics that hang around Flinders Street Station during the afternoon, so <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't want to make a podcast that's talking to them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> uh, so there you go, folks. It um, It is a pretty interesting one. It um, does sort of link in with what we were talking about with Ben earlier and uh, yeah it's it's always interesting I find you follow the money who's paying for what studies who's uh, voting for what who's who's supporting what cause and just see who gains what from it. And uh, yeah, as Anthony said, funny how the people who complain the most about a public transport thing are those with a vested interest.
1: I would say on the other side of it, and I mean, let's face it, I'm a train driver and, I, and I'm also a pilot, and I would love to have an airport link, you know. But then again, probably uh, I'd get the train there and it didn't ever move, you know. Particularly if they put the railway line anywhere near a runway end. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, you'd just be sitting there going. Oh, look at the plane. Oh, look at the plane. Everyone be hitting the driver button. Yeah, that's but, very uh, true,
1: mate. But I've got to say too, uh, you know, as an alternative point of view, at least for here in Melbourne, the uh, Skybus service that runs up and down the freeway is an, yes. is an extremely good service. In fact, the the previous government, the Bracks Labor government, uh, to their credit, did give Skybus a lot of money to buy a lot of uh, new buses. Uh, and, in fact, that was actually good for industry here in Victoria because uh, they were Volgren chassis which are made here in Dandenong, a suburb of Melbourne. Uh, a bit of a disclaimer here, I used to work for the company that makes those <laughs> chassis, so... I know all about it, but uh, probably more than I need to, actually, all these years later. But, uh, uh, yeah, like it was good to see the, uh, that, that sort of money being uh, spent in Victoria, and, and that is quite a good service. I think they run about every 10 or 15 minutes during the day. I should check that, Grant. I actually noticed they started following our Twitter feed the other day.
0: Oh, cool. Yeah. They probably want to see when we're going to go travel so they can try and uh, make sure we take the bus. But, mate, I've got to say, uh, having used the, tra- the new train line that was created to link Sydney Airport with the centre of the city, it's actually cheaper to travel much further on the existing lines than it is to use that new line. In fact, if there's three or four of us arriving at the airport, we'll take a taxi because it's actually cheaper to take a taxi into the city than it is to pay for each person to go on the train because they've made it a user pay system. It's all new. It's not being subsidised. It's a very expensive train line.
1: Yeah, well, that's one of the things when they say it's not economically viable and that's sort of been a bit of a fake get-out-of-jail-free card for a lot of politicians. They'll say, well, it's not economically viable and the theory that they're using, of course, when they talk about that. In fact, it would be good to get Anthony on the show to talk about this subject too. He's very knowledgeable when it comes to railway and railway politics. Uh, And we will do that, uh, as I said, when we get back from Oshkosh. Um, But you know, it's interesting they say that they're, they're approaching it from the standpoint that, in fact, that railway would, in, would be constructed and operated by a private operator. Now, uh, you know, every other rail line in this state is actually owned by the state, even if it's operated by private companies, which is the case of at least all over Victoria now. Uh, you know, and basically all the other rail lines in the state for commuters are paid for by taxes. And, you know, my theory is, well, that's what your taxes well, – what's one of the things that your taxes pay for. Um, so, you know, there's two competing theories here. If they were to fund it as a state project – in many ways a nation-building project if you want to look at it that way then that would be just something you know if it was run as a as another met line in a way, it doesn't need to be a line that makes a profit. It's there as a public service. That's what public transport is, in my opinion. If they're talking about running it as a private operation, and I'm not sure, in fact, I'm sure our friend Irk at uh, Channel Irk would be able to tell us that, I'm pretty sure that the airport link in Sydney, and even the one in Brisbane, is a private company that runs it. Uh, perhaps our listeners could let us know anyway if that's true or not, but that's I know that the airport uh, rail line in Sydney to their airport is extremely expensive, yep. uh, and that's probably why that is. So anyway, that's a subject that we'll touch on, as I said, uh, later in the year. And once we get back and have recovered from Oshkosh. Uh, we are chasing, in fact, Melbourne's Lord Mayor, Councillor Rod Doyle. He's uh, expressed quite a number of opinions over the years on whether or not we should get a, a a rail link to Melbourne Airport. You know, and in fact, if Victoria has a Minister for Aviation, uh, someone actually I'd like to talk to you on an, on another area, Grant, because, you know, aviation is typically a federal, the yep. purview of the federal government, and I'm, I'm curious to know, in general, what it is a Victorian uh, state aviation minister would do, but, you know, maybe he has a uh, an opinion on that too. So, anyway, thanks to Anthony for uh, putting a lot of work and a lot Lot of research into that view from the lounge and as always we thank anthony he does a lot of hard work for playing crazy down under not only for his segment but behind the scenes as well you'd be surprised folks in fact how much work anthony does for that and we always appreciate it indeed
0: it's always fun having him on the show
1: okay just before we finish up here folks i just wanted to make mention of an interview that i heard recently where grant we actually posted this on our uh, facebook feed for and uh, our twitter feed for people to listen to and it refers to an interview on uh, melbourne radio station mtr 1377 uh, it's steve price talking to dr andy thomas a Australia's, uh, well, the Australian-born astronaut, uh, native of South Australia, in fact, and uh, he's uh, been up on the shuttle four times, and uh, he's lived on the space station Mir, and done just a lot of amazingly cool things. Here's just a snippet of that interview.
0: Uh, It's an amazing ride. You know, I've I've had that ride four times, and it has never diminished in uh, the excitement that it offers you to lie there on your back, hear the countdown going down and to look down into the flame trench below you and see those huge engines explode into life and to feel all that vibration and shaking as the ground rushes away from you and you feel yourself being hurtled skyward at these incredible speeds and you see clouds rush by the windows. Uh, it really is uh, an amazing experience. I've done it four times, as I said, and I've thought each time that there couldn't be anyone on or off the planet that could possibly be doing anything that comes close to riding... That vehicle
1: into space. Now you'll find that interview uh, on their website at uh, mtr1377.com.au. Uh, we'll also put a link to that interview in the show notes. The full clip actually goes for about eight minutes. Uh, sadly, the MTR actually tagged it as Dr. Andy Thompson. Just a warning there. But uh, no, it's a fantastic interview. Uh You know, uh, Dr. Thomas there talks about, as you heard there, what it's like to ride in the space shuttle and uh, gives his thoughts on, uh, you know, uh, you know, the shuttle program winding down and uh, the reason why that's happening and just what he. Thinks to that it's a it's a really good interview folks uh you know in light of the fact that uh, the shuttle is uh, orbiting around at the moment and in fact is about to come back down to earth for the very last time grant i don't know about you i can remember back in 1981 watching the tv and watching the first uh, i think it was the columbia uh departing mm-hmm. it was a uh, uh, yep. I, I remember watching in awe at that time and i was only a very young child at that time uh and it's amazing to think it's been going all these years and it's uh you know it's uh i think uh, we're all quite sad that it's finishing
0: yeah, it, it is the end of an era. Uh, I'm looking forward to the uh, a lot of the private operators such as SpaceX and so on doing the hard yards to bring the uh, cost per kilo of getting uh, payload into space. I'm really looking forward to seeing that happen. That's going to make a big difference. And then uh, the Virgin Galactics and the folks who are looking at putting up the uh, orbiting uh, hotels, all that kind of stuff is really going to make a big difference.
1: You know, it's, uh, it's, it's always interesting times. And uh, of course, the other podcast that we talk about a lot too, Grant, that always talks about really cool stuff like space travel and space flight and all that sort of stuff. Uh, We haven't mentioned it for a while, but it is Star Stuff, and that's uh, on the ABC uh, Science website, uh, Stuart Gary. That's just a marvellous podcast, and we, we highly recommend that one as well.
0: Definitely. Well, folks, it's about time we wrap up this episode and uh, thanks for listening in. And it's been one of our more interesting ones, probably going to be one of our more contentious ones. But before we go, we'd just like to say a big thanks to everyone who's uh, chipped in some money to help uh, get us to Oshkosh. We have, of course, got our major sponsors who have helped pay airfares, accommodation and uh, survival money while we're over there. But of course, there's a lot more to being at Oshkosh than uh, just getting there and staying there. And those of you who have stepped forward and chipped in money have just been brilliant we really appreciate it and that's definitely going to help us put together a really good show and also help pay for some food and uh, thank yous for the guys who are also helping us while we're over there so yeah to all of you who chipped in the money and there's been a lot of you we really appreciate it Um, of course if anyone else wants to chip in feel free uh the more the merrier that we helps us bring in a really good show but yeah thanks folks big shout out to all of you
1: yeah, absolutely. And if uh, for those of you who've read the blog post that we uh, we put out regarding donations, you know, we don't often plug that these days. We we are aware that times are tight. Uh, you know, as we discussed in the, the section before the break, we know that the cost of living is uh, a big issue at the moment. And, you know, this is probably not something that a lot of people have discretionary money for. But uh, getting across to Oshkosh there, and, you know, we do ask you to consider in this unique case uh, the amount of work that we put into this show uh, on your behalf. And um, it is a bit of a, it, it is, even with our sponsorship money, going to be quite an expensive exercise. And, uh, I just want to reiterate there what Grant said. Uh, you know, for those of you who've uh, put your hands in your pockets for us, we really do just most humbly appreciate it. Thanks so much. Well, mate, uh, how's that packing going?
0: Oh, mate. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I've got a list. Does that count? <laughs> yes. I must admit I'd like to say that just for once, just for once in my life I'm actually organised and I've got my bags ready, but uh, no, actually it's uh, as we record this uh, this final section of this show, it's a couple of uh, nights before we leave and uh, <laughs> I've got everything actually in the office here, all sort of uh, roughly organised, but uh, none of it's in the, in the bag yet, so uh, yeah. <laughs> i probably ought to get on that in the morning, Grant. <laughs>
0: well, there's certainly not going to be much room for me to get in there and do some recording with you, so it's a good thing we're doing this over Skype. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. <laughs> cool. Thanks, mate. And uh, let's go get on a plane. Absolutely.
1: Well, folks, uh, yep, uh, Oshkosh awaits us. We are about to uh, hop on our flight at Melbourne on Thursday morning. We'll be staying in Chicago with our good friend Rob Mark from uh, comavia, jetwine.com. And uh, boy, poor old Rob, I don't think he really knows what he's in for, but we will be there. There will be uh, in addition to Grant and myself, there'll be Baz Sheffers, David Van Hoof, and my friend Mike Wilson, who lives over there in, uh, in Illinois. And he's coming up to, uh, well, actually I don't think Mike actually knows what he's in for either, does Grant. He's going to be uh, (laughs) carting us around all over the place but uh, we are going to have a ball. It's going to be a great time. It's going to be a big challenge for us but uh, we think we're up to it. I think after Avalon we've uh, proved that the concept works and uh, we're very confident that we can uh, provide a uh, a really good uh, series of shows for you. We'll put out at least three for you. Keep an eye on the Aviation Appetiser site. Keep an eye on our own site and uh, all of our video and audio portals and uh, we'll do our best folks to keep you in the picture for those of you who uh, can't make it to Oshkosh. It's the first time either of us have been there and uh, boy, We are a little bit stressed (laughs) just before we leave. It's a big task ahead, but uh, no, we're really looking
3: forward to it, folks.
1: So, Grant, I guess uh, there's not much else to say except for uh, until we're talking
0: to you from Oshkosh. Just remember this. It's what's down under that counts.
3: You've been listening to Plain Crazy Down Under, hosted by Steve Visher and Grant McCarran. Show notes, links to our forum, Facebook fan page, YouTube channel and Grant and Steve's own blogs can be found on our website www.plaincrazydownunder.com or keep up with our Twitter handle of PCDU. Comments or feedback can be left on our website or email us at plaincrazydownunder at gmail.com. If you'd like to help with the ongoing production of the show, feel free to assist via the donate button on the website. Any contributions are most gratefully appreciated. Incidental music and sound effects are courtesy of soundsnap.com and title music is You Name It 5 by Brian Simpson. Production and editing by Steve Vischer. This has been a Southern Skies online media podcast.
0: This show is intended as entertainment and any education that may occur is purely coincidental. As with anything in life, it is your responsibility to determine what does or does not work in your situation and to seek out suitable guidance and or instruction. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons non-commercial by attribution license. For more details on this license and our contact details, please visit our website at www.plaincrazydownunder.com. Thanks, folks. Or maybe she was thinking of the male strippers. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks over in the States, Mandate is a uh, male review that most, most of the ladies go gaga over. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah,
2: I've seen the, I've seen the signs. <laughs> up and- Jeez, I'll tell you what, it, it'd bring a bit of flavour to Australian politics when they, they pull out the word mandate and they roll it. <laughs> 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 lo- lo- Can you just play that like- one more time? <laughs> Uh, there will be no carbon tax under the government I lead.
0: But wait, it gets better. Certainly what we rejected is this uh, hysterical allegation that somehow that we are moving towards a carbon tax from the...
1: Yes, of course. If you want to get me angry, just play Wayne Swan a few more times.
0: Yeah, <laughs> incidentally, guys, we did mention a little bit of Oshkosh at the start and the daily updates were sort of alluded to. Just an, an aside that can be edited out.
1: Yes, I will because that's... That was the irony of my comment, Grant.
2: Oh, okay. I thought you got so wrapped up in bagging the greenies that you forgot. No, no. <laughs> Prime Minister, I was going to call a able Prime Minister, but uh, I'll, I'll remove that. <laughs> we're always having the cheap shots. Um, that's it's like what... called, right, honorable. You know I mean, how bad in, is that? You know that's going into the blooper reel. <laughs> it is.
0: Uh... And you know how we're going to end them up in Oshkosh? What? It's what's up over the cans?
1: Yeah. <laughs>